chapter 2 today, and so if you want to pull up Acts 2, um, that's where we're going to be spending our time and discussion today. Um, as you turn to Acts 2, um, before COVID, so it feels like a long, long time ago, um, I had the opportunity to spend a lot of time working with a few ministries and churches in Canada. Um, and Canada, if you've never been to Canada, Canada is, is just, it's just plain lovely. Like, there's oceans and mountains, and the weather is... I think the word they use is un-Texan, um, is kind of how can- Canadian weather is. Um, it's just, it's amazing. Um, and, and the last time I was there, I uh, went on a hike by myself in, a, in, in, a, uh, in, in one of their state parks, the equivalent of a state park, provincial park. Um, and as I'm walking along, I'm like, oh, there's some rustling up in the trees. Oh, it's a little bear cub. Okay, cool. Um, so I saw a few more about my fifth bear. I was like, I should probably turn around. Um, then I noticed the signs that say basically, if you're hiking alone, you're probably going to die um, out here. And there's just, so there's just things and beauty and nature that we just don't have here. Um, but one of my favorite memories of being in Canada is, is once that I, I was there to, to serve a church, and so I was staying with one of their pastors. And so every morning we would drive through kind of the countryside from his uh, from his home to the church offices, um, and we would drive through like this foggy marsh every morning uh, for three or four mornings. And every time we would drive through this marsh, he would say, there's this really beautiful mountain over there. You just can't see it because of the fog. And, and the last day, literally as we were driving by, it's like the, the, the glory of the Lord and grace of, of, of our God decided to descend upon us. And like, as we're driving through this marsh, like the fog lifts and, and sure enough, like there's this, this snow capped range, not just a mountain, but like this beautiful range, uh, just rocky crags and, and trees and, and a lake in front of, like, it looked like the background of a, of a MacBook. Like it just looked like one of the things that Apple said, yeah, this is like almost otherworldly. So we should make people jealous. Um, and this is the view that I got to have as we were driving. Um, and my friend who was driving kind of, as, as we looked at it a little bit, he, he, he said just kind of offhand, what makes me sad is that some people are so focused on where they're going that they miss this. Like they drive, drive by it every day and they get so focused on where they're going that they miss it. And, and what struck me is that this scene, it was there the entire time and, and yet we just couldn't see it be, because of the fog. Um, or, to follow his words, uh, others didn't see it because they were distracted. They had other things going on that in their minds were more important than this just lovely scene. Or, or maybe it, it has become familiar, so, so familiar for them. You ever moved to a new place and you're like, wow, this is going to be amazing. I'll never stop staring at this or I'll never stop experiencing this. And you're there for a year or two years and you're like, oh, okay, it's just, it just is. Um, it becomes familiar for us. Um, and smooth transition. I think a lot of that's true of our life with Jesus, um, that a lot of that same thing is true. He is always there. The invitation that he puts before us, some of which we're considering this month, his invitations are always right in front of us, and yet sometimes we can't see it. Maybe there's something blocking our view, a, a, a fog of sorts, just maybe even just the fog of, of daily life or this kind of stuff that, that clouds our vision. Other times we're distracted. There's just so many other things. Uh, the, the cares of this world is one way that the, the scriptures describe it. And so we miss what's going on. Or, sadly, but very realistically, like the things of God kind of just become familiar to us. 
Is this true of anybody else? I know it's true for me. We're just like, we, we kind of go through the motions or, or it just becomes familiar. We even carry forth the actions a little bit, but, but some of the actual heart and amazement and, and beauty. And maybe you remember feeling some of this in your early days of walking with Jesus where it was like, wow, this thing is amazing. And then over time, it just kind of settles in and, and things become more familiar and more comfortable and more routine. And that's a lot of why we're doing what we're doing this month as a, as a, as a, as a church. This is our first autumn together. Um, and so we're trying just to kind of clear away some of the fog, clear, clear through some of the distraction, maybe remind ourselves of some of the heart that exists that, that we've become comfortable with. We're not looking at things that are new. We're looking at things that, that are always true of Jesus and are always true of us. And so that's what we're kind of doing in this quote-unquote vision series. We're trying to take a, a clear look at Salt and Light's mission and values, and, and we're inviting three different commitments over the course of 2021 into 2022 this, this school year that we're in together. And so the whole month, this, uh, last week, this week, next week, we're in Acts 2, 42 through 47. Last week, we talked about being with Jesus um, in verse 42, we, we really zoomed in on, on what we called four channels that the first century church used to devote themselves to that, that in turn helped them experience life in the kingdom by the Spirit. So what were the four terms? What were the four things they devoted themselves to? Bonus points if you don't look. But what were the four things we talked about last week? Apostles' teaching, breaking of bread, prayer, and Fellowship. All right, we got there. Well done, folks. Um, and, and those are four spiritual practices. And from there, we invited Salt and Light into kind of a first commitment over the course of this school year um, to commit to some monthly spiritual practice, whether by yourself or as a household or, or with your DNA. And the only goal of this, it's not like some heavy-handed mandate, we're going to come knocking at your door and checking on you, what's your spiritual practice um, kind of thing. But, but it's just a a way to, to experience Christ in, in a new way. A lot of us are coming out of some sort of fog, and, and it's helpful to have something tangible. And so, again, just like a, 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 a budget we referenced last week or a form of exercise, like it's good to have a little bit of a plan in order to pursue spiritual health. So um, I referenced a book last week called The Spiritual Disciplines Handbook. It's on that table back there. It has like 75 different ideas, and, and you don't have to do all 75 today. Got at least a month, um, but 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 it just at least could maybe awaken your imagination to some of uh, some of what a practice could be. It was our first week together in this series, and so today we're gonna we're gonna be in the same verses, but focusing on becoming like Jesus. If last week was being with Jesus, today we're talking about becoming like Jesus. Um, you've seen the dog commercials, I'm sure, because they put out a new one a few, every few years, where like the the owner and the dog start looking more and more alike. Um, any, any married person knows you start to, start to become more and more like your spouse in some ways. Um, and, and so our goal is, is to see the same thing. If this is who Jesus is, if we're spending more and more time with Jesus, naturally, how can we becoming more, become more and more like him? And so we're going to see some ways that the first century church reflected Jesus, who he was, what he did, as we ask and answer this question, who are we and what are we to do? And we introduce our second commitment today. So let me pray for us, and then we'll dive into Acts chapter 2 for a little discussion. God, would you guide us, and would you lead us, and would you be our teacher? Um, would you be the one who uh, enlivens your word in us, 
And, and would today be a, t a time not of just studying words on a page or on a screen, Lord, but would, would today be a time where, uh, where we're spending time with you in order to become more like you? It's for your son's name we pray, Father. Amen. Right, so if you're here last week, uh, we're going to start the same week, uh, start the same way we did, but we're going to ask a different question. So I'm going to read verses 42 through 47, and I want you to listen through this lens. The lens is what, what in these verses show how the first century church became like Jesus, okay? So what, is this, what do these verses show um, of the first century church becoming more like Jesus? And then we'll talk about that for a little bit. So Acts 2, starting in 42. If you don't know where Acts is, we need help. It'll be on the screen to my right. The church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so what did you hear? What are some ways that the first century church became like Jesus in those verses? Many miracles. Many miracles. Yeah, Jesus was a, a miracle worker, um, sometimes in order to show a, a deeper spiritual healing, but sometimes just because God's grace was on someone and he healed them. And so as the church was doing that, they were reflecting the personal work of Jesus. Great. What else? Yes, ma'am, you don't have to raise your hand. Fulfilling needs, yeah. Jesus was really good at fulfilling needs, really committed to that. What else? Mm -hmm. Jesus was always eating with people. Yeah. What else? Yeah, yeah, people were added to the church. Jesus was, was one who would bring people to himself. Yeah, yeah, he, draw, he drew people to himself. It's a good word. Anything else? There are other things, and we'll come to them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the apostles were teaching. What were they teaching? They weren't teaching their own necessarily doctrine. Of that kind. They were teaching what they received from walking with Jesus for a few years. So, yeah, he taught, and they taught. They had humble hearts. They had humble hearts. Yeah, that's good, Curtis. Jesus was the most humble. We'll come back to that at our very end of our time today. So, so there's, there's one book that talks about how flowing from the devotion to God and each other that we saw last week, and this quote's going to be up on the screen, the rest of these verses show that, that the life of Christ was manifested both in the lives of individual members and in the life of the community uh, as they were considered as a whole. The church was known by convincing signs of God's saving power within it, by generosity and justice and mercy in its communal relationship, and by joyful conviviality. It's a word we use all the time. They're British, so they're, you know, 
a little haughty. Uh, conviviality is just friendliness, liveliness. Like the church was known by its liveliness and by worship. And so last week we kind of dissected some of those channels from verse 42 and asked, how can each of those help us be with Jesus? Today, I want us to have some conversation. If you weren't here last week, um, we're going to have a little bit of, of, of conversation together. I'd love for your input as well. Um, but we're going to look at, at the things that you said a minute ago, miracles, eating, uh, meeting needs, bringing people to into their, their fellowship. Um, and, and like last week, we're going to ask, how does each reflect the person and work of Jesus? So, so here's the question for us. Here's kind of the different things that we see in verses 43 through 47. And for each, if last week we said, how can each of these help us be with Jesus? This week we're asking, how do these reflect the person and work of Jesus? So we already got a little bit of a good start, but for a few different categories, let's just take these one by one. How do wonders and signs reflect the person and work of Jesus? Or maybe... What negative aspect misses? What do we miss about Jesus? If, 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 if the church in any point in history, in any point in the world, misses out on some of these things? What do you think? How do these reflect the person and work of Jesus? What's missing out? What might we miss about Jesus if we lack some of these? Wonders and signs. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were raising your hand. You're good. Yeah. 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 It seems like there's more wonders, and there were there were more wonders and signs in the first century than there are today. And and at least at least in our culture, and I know this is not just in our culture. That is true. Um, and even I know there's been folks who, if I can add to that, um, and we're going to come, we're going to talk about prayer in October and November. So I'm going to mention this, but then kind of move on and come back to it. But there are folks who, uh, as, as they've been praying for God to heal, um, we get to celebrate on occasion when he does. And also we're left with the question, well, why didn't you at times? And so there's even this tension, I think, in the mind of the church of, does God still do this sometimes today? And then there's glimpses of it that he shows. Yeah, Michelle. Yeah. Yeah. Wonders and signs remind us of God's heart for restoration. Yeah. And so what you saw in Jesus and what you saw in the early church and some of us have seen today, even though it does seem less common, maybe, um, and maybe it's on us, maybe it's who knows, but um, restoration of sight to the blind and restoration of folks who couldn't walk to be able to and this kind of stuff. And you saw that in Jesus and you saw that in the early church as well. Jesus' heart for restoration. Anything else? Yeah, shows his authority over creation. Yeah, everything physical. And then again, he would use the physical to represent the, the, the spiritual brokenness and, and restoration there. And so Jesus has authority over both physical and spiritual realms. There's also this unity within the Trinity. That when Jesus would pray, he would pray in the power of the Spirit for God to heal. It's this beautiful picture of, of God working as God together. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I think that aspect as well, even when the disciples said it, they didn't say, hey, Christ will do through us. Yeah. Yeah, as Jesus said, it's, it's not what I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not able to do anything or say anything. I do and say what I hear my father saying and, and see my father doing. So also, is there that same unity and same power? And, and, and to, to Marvin's point, like it, this is, we can, we can all say like verifiably, like we don't seem to see this as much. And yet there's, there's this promise that carried on through the centuries that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the same spirit is alive and working. And so there's somehow this, this peace that, that is missing. And, and so, some folks in other parts of the world go, is it any wonder that the church has lost some of its witness if we don't believe anymore that God can do this? Maybe something for us to wrestle with, but for today we're going to move on. So, um, the, how is the the person and work of Jesus reflected in the life together of the the first century church? Um, in in the the having everything in common, or what's missing? What do we miss about the person and work in Jesus if we neglect that? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be able to recap all that. So Jesus had, had a, a communal life stemming from the Trinity, and he let that life overflow into those who were around him. Is that a fair summary? And then a lot of the one another is a lot of the way that we display our faith, which is, which is really poignant for us, um, has to be in the context of relationship. That's um, good. I was with a group of pastors this week, and one of them uh, made the comment that just taking the fruit of the Spirit... Um, you can't live out the fruit of the Spirit alone. Like, how can you love nobody? Or how can you show kindness to nobody? And is this really poignant picture of the, the, the faith that we have is manifest. It becomes real in the context of relationship. What else? How's our life together display something of the person work of Jesus? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, by our unity, and especially unity that crosses boundaries, if I can add a little bit, then there's something different about us, and the world knows that there's something different. It's part of our witness. That's good. Really good. Both? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, there's, there's, there's the reality that as much as we're trying to become like Jesus, we can't do that by ourselves. And so as the body comes together, even we're able to be, be looking more and more like the image of God and carry out his work together. 
Good. This, one, this next one is similar, but, but how does selling all things and giving to those in need reflect the personal work of Jesus? Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Yeah, that's a little bit of why I wanted to separate these out. A, they're separated out in the scriptures, but yeah, the heart of Christ, the, the pinnacle of his servanthood was literally giving so that the deepest needs could be met. He gave himself to the point of death. Anything else? Not being anxious. Yeah, that we trust that there's, there's needs that are going to be met. And that if we are those who have some of the means, this is where I love the, the authors kind of tied this piece to the generosity and justice and mercy, kind of going, if, the, if there are folks without, then the church can help them become folks with. That's a beautiful picture. Yeah, yeah. So if we're weak in signs and wonders, maybe this is an area that the church you see being strong in is sacrificing for one another. Praise God. God, would you let that continue to be true um, across your church? This, this, is so, this is so foreign to us in some ways. I've said this before, but it's, it may be helpful just to be, to, to be reminded, like in this glimpse of the f- history's first church, this was God's people actually using what God actually gave them to actually meet people's actual needs and not doing it just for a tax write-off and not doing it out of grumbling and, and they were doing it sacrificially and they were not just meeting spiritual needs either. They were meeting holistic, tangible needs um, and they were meet, doing so with glad and generous hearts and God, would you create churches? Would you create in us the same heart that would display something of you in that? What about sharing food with glad and generous hearts? What is... What is captured in the person about the personal work of Jesus? The conviviality, if you want to go back to that word, the liveliness of the church. He's already said Jesus ate with sinners. What else? Yeah, so eating together, table fellowship, is about provision, but it's also about connection. All of us have probably seen the the couple that looks like they're on a date who's just sitting on their phones, not speaking to each other the whole time, and we judge them until we do the same thing the next time we go out. Um, And and there is something like there's something noticeable. There's a reason like we're drawn to to stare at that and be like, what's there's something wrong with that? There's something missing about that. And there is this this deeper holistic thing that is embodied by table fellowship. 
Anything else come to mind? Sharing food with glad and generous hearts. Yeah. Yeah, he enjoyed the food and the sharing it. Did I hear you right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, he couldn't be called a, a, a drunkard and a glutton if he wasn't eating and drinking, right? And he wasn't either of those things, but he enjoyed at least enough to have that, that charge levied against him wrongly. And so there's enjoyment there, and then he would bring people into the table, especially maybe folks who others would say, they, that person shouldn't be at your table. If I can take it one step further, Jesus, as we'll celebrate in communion a little bit, it, it is the very bread of life. And so as much as he invited people to the table, we also get to, because of his death and resurrection, be invited to the table one day in eternity. And we'll get to feast with him. And so every time we meet with glad and generous hearts and share food, we're, we're proclaiming something that we believe will happen one day. Praising God, worship. What's the way that praising God and worship reflects the personal work of Jesus? It's weird maybe for us to think about sometimes, but while, during his time on earth, Jesus was, was very, we, we've talked about it in prayer, like was very reliant and dependent on his Father through the Spirit, but he also worshiped God. The, the Spirit proclaims the name of Jesus to, to, to people. It's part of the, the Spirit's work. And so there's this inter-Trinitarian, big word, like worship that happens. And so as we worship, we're declaring the same thing Jesus did, that only God is worthy of praise. Jesus proved himself to be who he was. God proved himself to be who he was in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we could go on and on. And for, for the sake of time, I'm, I'm going to move us on. But, but for, for, for the sake of zooming out, all of these and, and any act that, that we do together, for those of us who follow Jesus, can also reflect the person and work of Jesus or not. And, and anything that we do together um, shows us that, that only Jesus empowers a true gospel-driven version of that event. You can have food together and not think anything about Jesus. We can even sing songs together and, and not have anything to do with Jesus. And so it's the, the, the prayer of our little church family. It's the hope of salt and light that, that together things like these would increasingly mark our lives, not as some empty rules or tasks to follow, but rather as we are together formed more into the image and become more and more like Jesus. And at the same time, uh, last week, uh, Riley made a, made a really perceptive comment that, that three-fourths of the, of the acts um, in, or the, the, the channels in, Acts for, in verse 242 um, don't inherently need God. So apostles' teaching can come through other people. So you can teach stuff that, that don't inherently need God. Fellowship, there's, there's people who gather around just about anything you could possibly choose to gather around. People fellowship without God. People break bread all the time. Um, prayer, it's pretty overt. You're praying to something. Um, but the same is true on, on some level for, for today. Like there's very real spiritual powers that can produce signs and wonders outside of the one true and living God. There's a lot of organizations and even governments that promote taking from the rich and giving to the poor. So the, the selling of things for the sake of others. There's charities that do justice and mercy way better than the church. And so there's just a lot of motives for, for the things that we're talking about together. 
And so praise God, there are overt ways that, that we can carry these out, but we're also prone to, to even worship other things. And so uh, Riley and I chatted about that a little bit afterwards. I couldn't stop thinking about it this week. And so he had some great insights. So I've asked him to actually just come share a little bit of what, maybe more of what he meant by that, of we can do these things without actually needing Christ. I've been a part of your <coughs> churches for like, I don't know, seven, eight years now. And I trusted you a lot until you suggested giving me a mic. This one may be a mistake. Um, okay, so uh, yeah, basically we've been going through Acts 2 and Paul's called the church into these specific disciplines. And then there's been resulting events from those disciplines. Um, likewise, Salt and Light has formed up specific commitments for the body um, to create flourishing for us. Um, anytime I'm handed spiritual disciplines, um, I am reminded of my tendency to make spiritual life um, about something other than God, about the thing I'm pursuing. There's a book called A With by Sky Jathani that helped frame up a lot of this and is the uh, premise for our conversation last week. Um, so uh, what Sky Jathani does is he essentially uses different prepositions and how we relate to God and then shows us how often we end up um, uh, not including God in those things. Um, it's a way essentially to uh, manipulate faith or practices in faith um, to seek someone other than God. Um, and we end up missing out on a life with Christ. So I was just going to go through those real fast um, so we can be thinking about them as we enter into them. So the first one is life from God. Um, this is, sorry, <laughs> the first one is life under God, which is, um, you know, the fact that we have such a good gift from God, which is the commandments he's shown us. Um, they're for our flourishing. Um, unfortunately, these commandments can be easily manipulated for self. Um, in Acts, it shows us how committed the apostles were and devoted to the teaching, and I think you can be intaking a lot of different teaching, um, and then there's amazing things that can result from that devotion. Um, in my life, I've often used God's com commandments to try to control God. Essentially, like, it's no different than, like, ancient people throwing virgins into a volcano. That was the, the example given in his book, not mine. Um, and, uh, I know, right? <laughs> um, and es essentially, like, I attempt to explain God or move through life in a way by following his commandments and uh, so that things won't go horribly wrong for me. Um, and likewise, I think it's a way that I explain away other people's um, pains is by saying I wonder what they did against God in order to incur, incur that. Um, the second one is um, there's a life. Um, I'm leaving one of the four out, which is basically life without God. But the next one's a life from God. Um, and it, this is more of the consumerist gospel or the dreaded prosperity gospel. And at first I was like, I'm good on this front. Um, and, and then I thought about it more. Um, and in Acts, it discusses breaking bread and having everything in common. I think if I'm honest with myself, um, I can be a consumer of spiritual life um, in the way that uh, we're given something beautiful by the body of Christ and friendship and acceptance of others. Um, the family of Christ is amazing and it's beautiful, um, but when approached as a consumer, uh, its beauty begins to fade. Um, we tend to become tribal at that point, um, like every other social group, and seek congruence of beliefs and theology um, instead of seeking the spirit of God to refine us and those around us. Um, I think that the leaders of Salt and Light, um, it, prior to Salt and Light even being formed up, I had conversations with Matt and with Ben, and what they really pushed me to, to was saying, hey, this is where I've landed, but basically go and figure it out for yourself. And it really encouraged us entering into a relationship with God rather than saying, hey, I've descended from the mountain. Here's what I have to give you. Now adhere to what I believe, right? Um, it's very different. It's, um, it it's encourages relationships. 
And then the life uh, for God is the one that uh, I would be most guilty of. This is the uh, activist, environmentalist, social gospel. Um, whatever name you, you give it, uh, I am guilty of it. And it's basically where we get so excited about the signs and wonders and all the things that we're just amazed about what God can do. I think of like Ashley and Dash and like being on a mission that's so in line with his kingdom. Um, and uh, wh whether it's in your business or your nonprofit, going after that. Um, but basically, you can run after it, uh, completely forsaking God. Um, there's a strong tendency to make, when doing this, to make our name great instead of God's name great. Um, and it's a, a truly insane reality that we live in a world where, like, in the Garden of Eden, uh, God empowered man to, like, cultivate the earth and work alongside him. And he's empowered us to, like, walk out and bring in kingdom come. Um, but this cultivation is meant to be done together with God. Um, not separate from him or just going after the thing that he set our vision upon. So in closing, my hope for the church is that they would walk out in this belief um, that God is present and at work in every moment um, and that through this belief, Emmanuel, God with us, um, invites us to walk with him um, as his kingdom comes. So that's all. Thank you. Yeah, go for it. Let's thank Riley. And there was a lot in a few minutes, but uh, I'm 95% sure you saw yourself in at least one of those. Yeah, that, that we can do the things of God and somehow not do them with God. Um, and, and that is, man, it's such a temptation. Whichever kind of, uh, uh, I forget the type of words, it's not, they're not pronouns. Prepositions, nice, thank you. Um, yeah, whichever preposition you found yourself most, like we, we all have some of those tendencies to, to try to do the things of God without the presence of God. And that's why I wanted him to share, just because he brought that up, and, and it's, a real, it's a real warning for us. Um, there are things that we can do that look like Jesus. We're talking about becoming like Jesus today. There's things we can do that look like Jesus but miss the heart of Jesus. And, and Jesus' biggest frustration while on earth was, was with the hypocritical religious leaders who did what we would now say Jesus-y things. They did religious things, but they did so by their own glory, for their own power, by, by their own power, for their own glory, not as an overflow of their deep, heartfelt being with Jesus. Most of the New Testament letters, if you haven't looked at your scriptures in a little while, most New Testament letters start with a reminder of who we are. Before Jesus, we were this. We were dead. We were lost. Maybe some of us in our righteousness and in trying to look good, but in Jesus, we're alive and we're restored and we have a new life and a new power in us. And most of the New Testament letters give a therefore to show what this renewed, restored life looks like. Based on who you are, therefore, there's a new way to live. But it's not by our power, salt and light. It's all by the power of Christ and the Spirit in you. But you know the number one way that this, the, the New Testament shows that display of heart change in us? It's not in our one-on-one -on -one time with God. It's not in our showing up every Sunday. It's, our, it's, it's in this thing that we've already mentioned it's in our relationship one with another. It's in our relationship with others around us. It's in our witness to the world, which again involves human engagement. 
There's a hundred one another commands. Seek unity with one another. Serve one another. Love God and neighbor and enemies. That one's hard. Uh, speak truth and love with one another. Tolerate one another. And on and on and on and on it goes. But all of these are empty if we miss the heart behind them, which is an overflow of Jesus' love first for us. God's tolerance first of us, the unity that Jesus brings us into with the Trinity, the love for us that he first showed while we were his enemies. Fair? And so Riley's, Riley's danger, or the, the danger Riley brought up, is, is very real. It's possible to look like Jesus without the power and motive of Jesus. But the more we spend time with Jesus, which is what we talked about last week, Sometimes through those practices, sometimes just being open to whatever God has with us. And the more then we become like Jesus, then we have to be aware of the Lord's work within us rather than our work without him. Jesus asks, Jesus is asked, what is, what's, what's the most important Old Testament commandment? And you may remember his answer. He said the first uh, most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the second is like it which is to say is as important as to love your neighbor as yourself. And, and so to be clear, we're talking about life together. We're talking about life as a church. And that life of devotion to one another, it's a messy life. As much as the, the New Testament letters are, here's who you were, here's who you are now, here's what to do, the, a lot of the New Testament is also responding to issues. Paul, Paul's writing to address some sort of sin, or Peter's writing to address some sort of brokenness, or James is writing to address some sort of question or division or need. And so on one hand, you see in the scriptures, the church, we together have this really high calling. But on the other hand, on another level, you see that people are still broken. And brokenness is still brokenness, and people are still people, and sin is still sin. And this is part of why becoming a Christ-centered community surpasses any other reason to get together, surpasses any other tribe, tribalism, one way of thinking that we all need. All of this is why it's not enough for us to ask this month just what are we supposed to do, but rather to step back and ask, okay, who are we? Who is God's church? Who are we individually? Who are we together? And so to, to make this a little bit practical, uh, we're going to introduce our, our second commitment that we're inviting salt and light to over the course of this school year. Um, last week, we said that, that spiritual practices might help us uh, take another step in being with Jesus. Today, we're going to ask you to, to make a year-long commitment to dive deep into community. Um, to, to, to Sundays and to DNA groups, not because we want to put butts in seats on Sundays or that kind of stuff. We're not going to show up and take attendance at DNA groups, this kind of stuff, but, but rather we're saying, hey, this is our kind of discipleship philosophy. There's two sides of the same coin. There's some things that we are going to devote ourselves to that happen in a gathering like this teaching and communion and remembering that we're part of something a little bit bigger and singing and, and, and these kind of things, um, hearing things in other DNA groups. And at the same time, there's other aspects of discipleship that happen in missional DNA groups of, of going deep and being known and, and sending out and supporting one another on mission. And so we're asking for a monthly we're inviting you into a monthly spiritual practice. Talked about that last week. Happy to chat with you more. And then today's practice is a year of intentional devotion to being formed in community. The goal is to be known. 
This is some of how we say it in our values statement that we formed salt and light around. Um, salt and light uh, is, is, is aiming to become like Jesus, and that means that we give our lives for God and others. That, that's, what, that's all we've been talking about. Jesus gave his life for us. We give our lives for God and others. And so we, we pursue selfless conversations. We'll talk more about this next week. We want to boldly but humbly speak and receive the good news of Jesus' life and death and resurrection into every facet of the lives of, of one another and our non-believing family and friends. We want to pursue selfless generosity. We want to follow the early church in using our homes and our time and our possession for God's purposes and God's people, encouraging one another's gifts and using our own gifts to help each other thrive. We want to financially give towards God, God's mission and ministry, and we want to inconvenience ourselves. No, we don't. Nobody wants to inconvenience ourselves. But we want to invite us as a church family to inconvenience ourselves for the well-being of others. And then finally, we want to invite pursuing selfless acts, trying to intentionally break down some of those dividing walls and giving voice and resource to fight injustice and reconcile brokenness, want to give resource to pursuing relationship and assistance and faith with those who are on society's fringes. So again, these, these commitments that we're talking about are inherently others-focused. This value is in, in inherently selfless and sacrificial. Why? Because Jesus our Lord was inherently selfless and sacrificial. It involves devoting ourselves to the fellowship, which we saw last week, and prioritizing others' needs and serving others, both within salt and light and beyond. And so this is our second commitment. Spiritual practice, monthly, a commitment for, to community for a year, and then next week we'll talk about the last commitment there. But I just want to close with this one practice that we saw last week that... that, that God's people have done throughout centuries as they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Um, this, this meal, communion, uh, was done around tables, and it wasn't done uh, in a line where people came forward and received from one person. This was done more around tables, usually during the course of a meal. So if you don't have your communion elements, you can go grab them. If you do have them, you can open them. But this act of devotion reminds us that being with Jesus and becoming like Jesus and doing what Jesus did is utterly reliant on a power that we don't have. It's Christ in us that is our only hope of glory. And so, salt and light, as we take communion, we're reminded of the gospel. Jesus' broken body and shed blood is the one door that brings us into the kingdom of God. Jesus alone is the fulfillment and source and goal and motive and power for any act of selflessness and devotion to God and people. And so the key way that we are not like Jesus is that only Jesus is Jesus. His death was the most selfless act in history. Philippians reminded us this summer that Jesus humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, and that God exalted him to the highest name over heavens and earth. That's what we celebrate and proclaim in this meal. So would you take and eat Christ's body broken for you? And then this is the blood of Christ shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins, for the bringing you into the family of God. This is a reminder that his DNA runs through us of anyone who is washed in his blood. Take and drink.
Father God, we thank you for inviting us to your table. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your forgiveness of us. We pray that you would make us more and more like you as we pursue selfless sacrifice based on what we just reflected on, your most selfless, most sacrificial act in all of history. Be glorified in us personally and together as we're formed more and more into being like you. In your son's name.